From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Over the summer, the VP of sales here at Entrepreneur Media sent a link around to all the managers at the company. It was to thestreet.com, and it was a column written by Jim Cramer. And the headline was, Small Businesses Are Why This Economy Is Snapping Back. And of course, our VP of sales was excited about this because this is exactly the reason why small businesses are so important and we want to support them. And what a great message and what a great thing to hear from a guy like Jim Cramer. So just to make sure you know the Jim Cramer I'm speaking of, surely you do. Jim Cramer, host of Mad Money with Jim Cramer, host of Squawk on the Street, CNBC, and also who just signed this gigantic new deal with CNBC to create all sorts of uh, subscription products and other things. Jim covers the public markets mostly, but he is not just a public markets guy. I mean, first of all, he was a co-founder of The Street, and he also was the owner of a restaurant. So he understands smaller businesses, understands building things up. And as a guy whose job is to understand how the economy works, when Jim looks at the whole picture, what he sees is so much growth being driven by small business. I'm going to quote a little bit from this column. He writes, quote, what do small businesses do? They grow the top line by hiring. They need people to make more and sell more. They, not big businesses, are why this economy is snapping back and snapping back hard, end quote. So anyway, reading all this, I thought, well, I should talk to Jim Cramer about this. Let's do it again. That's Jim when we finally connected over the fall. Both of us had busy summers. And by the way, side note, and a, a hot tip for anybody who's interested in making audio. And I know this, but I just didn't do it in the case with Jim. Start recording literally the second that you interact with somebody because wonderful things can happen that you might want to include. And in this case, what I would have wanted to include is that Jim sat down. We were connected by video and he asked me if we were recording video. And I said, no, no, actually, we're, we're just recording audio. Like the video is just to see us. And he's like, oh, fantastic. And he just he grabs this like wipe or something. And he just starts taking all the makeup, all the TV makeup off of his face <laughs> because TV makeup is so uncomfortable and that guy has to wear so much of it like anybody who's on camera. Anyway, so it was just it was like kind of a delight to deliver a little freedom to Jim because we were just doing audio and he could be makeup free. So now imagine Jim being makeup free, loving life as he tells you the joy of business. Small business is thinking at all times about how to have more more, more, more people hired, more business being done, more stores being open. And that's the joy of business. In my conversation with Jim, we get into a lot of really interesting things. We talk about why big businesses are seeing small businesses as an opportunity. That is, support small businesses, help them grow. That's good for everybody. And then we also talk about what's coming for small business in the future, what are the challenges, the solutions, the things that small business people need to be thinking about. It's really in-depth, wide-ranging, full of insights. I just really loved talking to Jim about all this stuff. And so that is what uh, I'm going to play for you on this episode. Coming up after the break. 
Startups can outgrow their cloud computing power in pretty much the same way that a person outgrows their cell phone. You know, you invest in something that seems great at first, but then time passes and it starts to get clunky, but you don't upgrade for a while because it's too expensive and complicated, and so you end up sticking with this thing that just doesn't work. And in the case of a startup and cloud computing, that means that their tech is struggling and it's difficult handling the company's bigger needs, and they are not even confident that they can take on enterprise-size clients. But Oracle has a solution for this, and it is called Oracle for Startups. The idea is that startups can gain access to the cloud computing power, expertise, and connections of a big dog like Oracle. Plus, with multi-cloud support and no vendor lock-ins, a startup can build whatever it needs. Now, a startup has the power to scale. So don't stay stuck. To get free cloud credits and 70% off Oracle's cloud services, go to oracle.com slash problem solvers. Again, that is oracle.com slash problem solvers. All right, we're back. So let's jump into the conversation with Jim Kramer. And I start by telling him about how much we internally loved that column that he wrote about small business. And then, because I couldn't help myself, I quoted a little of it to him. I'm going to quote you to you or an abridged version of you to you. You say, most of the big companies I deal with are trying to do more with less. What do small businesses do? They grow the top line by hiring. They need people to make more and sell more, which is your way of explaining that the economy and growth in the economy is driven in such large part by small business. Can you talk a little bit more about what you see and why that's important to keep in mind? Sure. Well, when I see a company trying to get their gross margins up, a large company, it tends to not be about expanding their sales. It tends to be about bringing in one of the amazing companies like a sales, Salesforce, a, a Workday, a ServiceNow, which is able to find ways to be able to make it so you can do more with less. You don't need as many people that you may have had someone who had an assistant, and now you can get rid of that assistant, and that person can be just as productive, if not more so. And these are terrific things, but that's not growth. What that is, is creating money that you might have been otherwise thought you were losing by hiring people. Small business, the goal is to hire people. I mean, the goal is to say, all right, I got one restaurant, it's doing well. I am going to put up another restaurant, hire another 20 people. And I got to tell you, if I can make more money with 25 people, I'll hire 25 people. And I find that, say, in the restaurant business, when we were allowed to put people outside in a canopy, it was like, all right, good, I'll hire three more people and I'll make an additional $4,000 a week. It's an equation. The equation is the opposite at big business, which is like, okay, I'm not going to be able to make an additional 4000 a week, so I better try to figure out how to fire five people. My father-in-law was always saying this to me, go into business in order to be able to grow a business, hire people, put food on the table, generate productivity. And make it so that things are so good, you want to put another store up and another store up. And yet, when I look at most of my businesses, the large businesses, their goal is simply to make it so that there's endless belt tightening. It's incredulous. It's like, well, we took out another $40 million in costs. Well, we took out another 50 million. No, they didn't take out $40 million in costs. They took out $40 million in people. You know, maybe they saved some leases or managed to find some way to do some productivity. But typically, what they did was figure out how to get rid of people. and. Every small business I know, the success comes from, I added five people and those people cost me X and I made two X by bringing in those five people. And that's a very simple recipe for prosperity. And that's what I believe in. 
What you're talking about on the big business side reminds me a lot of this wonderful HBR piece that I read years ago. And it was trying to answer the question of why some big businesses stop innovating. And the answer, as it was proposed, is that at some point, a business becomes so successful that it shifts away from innovation and towards efficiency. And so everything that it's thinking about doing is just, let's do the same thing that we're doing, but faster and cheaper. And like you said, with fewer people. And that's fine for a while until you get disrupted and now your entire structure top to bottom is built on efficiency of the thing you're already doing and you're no longer nimble. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on how a business can avoid that kind of trap as they grow and then start doing the thing that you're describing, which is just figuring out how to cut costs, which is a way of just saying efficiency. Well, let's use the example of Amazon because it is such a great example. Amazon is developing this business and it's a retail business and it starts with books and then it goes beyond that. It gets beyond that, beyond that. And then because they have this business that makes it so it can fulfill faster, they decide to put money into Amazon Web Services and that grows and grows and it has a million different uses. And then the next thing you know, they're saying, okay, you know what, we can also put advertising on this site. It's the best place for people at point of sale. Boom, that's another business. And you had a business that was not necessarily meant for growth, but grew. Apple in this lawsuit that they're having with Epic, there's this great discovery where Steve Jobs says, you know what? We have this great site. We have this terrific phone. Why don't we sell some stuff? Why don't we like sell some software? And just what are we going to do? And he's saying, people want to use our phone and we'll take a cut. And another guy says, what cut? And he goes, I don't know, how about 30%? And so he says, okay, 30%. And next thing you know, you have a $50 billion business. So you have <laughs> happenstance growth at the larger companies that are actually always on the lookout for growth. And if you look at quarter, there will always be this list of 25 initiatives. And it's really terrific. But that is unusual. More likely is you get a company like Constellation Brands, which is Modelo and Corona and some good tequila and some good specialty whiskeys. And there they say, you know what? We want to grow. So first we'll buy a cannabis company because that's next. But then what we're going to do is we're going to give money to Hispanic business people or minority business people who have good ideas for drinks. And I am convinced that their next leg of growth is going to come from seeding small business with a recognition Mm. that perhaps that's not in their DNA right now, but it's in somebody else's DNA and they want to share in that DNA because those people don't have enough money. And what I really love about it is, is that they embrace the concept that the smaller guy can grow. And do better than them. And I just think Mm. that's also terrific. So this is a nice segue into the meat of this piece that you wrote, which was pointing out all the ways in which serving small business is very good business. And sometimes unexpectedly so. You describe a couple of times where you were talking to a CEO in early days and you thought, what are you doing? You're giving loans out to a bunch of small businesses that are never going to be able to repay them. This is a terrible business. And then it turns out to work out pretty well. So maybe let's start with what you have learned over the years about the power of serving small business. Well, my dad was a wholesaler, one-man operation, small business, and he always had ambitions to be able to sell new product, but no one would give him the money. And he was always running short of money so that when he decided what would have been great to be able to bring in his fancy gift wrap, he didn't have enough money to do fancy gift wrap, so he couldn't expand. Uh, He wanted to be able to do a scotch tape, but he couldn't expand, just didn't have enough money to do anything. I then look at an operation like, like what Facebook just did last week. Facebook is basically, if you can't pay your bills, they'll pay them. 
And then when you get the get your money and you pay it back to Facebook, it kind of makes the mismatch that you often have as a small business person of money coming in and money coming out. This is not something a large company ever has, where Facebook is, is putting up the money to do it. Shopify is the best example. Like these companies, a lot of the companies on Shopify, they don't know about anything other than their product. But Shopify knows everything about how to get that product to you and nothing about the product. But they know cash flow. And they see who's doing well. And when they see someone do well, they want to put more money in that person. So in other words, if my dad had three months of selling good scotch tape, you would have hoped that 3M says, you know what? Ken Kramer's selling a lot of scotch tape. Let's give Ken Kramer an additional $1,000 so he can sell more scotch tape. But that's not the way it works. The big companies don't tend not to think like that. But there's a new generation. Etsy does it. Shopify does it. I like this Facebook initiative. What they're saying is, okay, we see ethic. We see companies that want to add people. Also, look, we see companies that are run by women and we want to be able to support them. We see companies that are run in inner city neighborhoods want to support them. And what we're discovering is all the ones I just described have much more on the line than the big companies, which are just trying to like get their stock price up or trying to, and in many cases, they, they certainly have a heart. But the smaller guy is just working seven days a week. Such a better bet, but has different things that go wrong. So for instance, I've seen in the restaurant business, you'll have three weekends where there's bad weather. And that's the end. That's the end for a lot of people. But if they had someone bigger in their corner, next thing you know, they get through that period and then they open a second restaurant. That should be the goal. What I find a shame is, is that the government's doing nothing to help. I'd rather have Intuit than I would have the federal government. A company that really understands that if we take a longer term view and help the small business person, that person is not going to stay small. And mm -hmm. that's why I love small business, because... I see the compound factor of small business versus the endless. I can't believe that we just took another 300 million out. Oh my God, I don't want you to take me. I mean, I want you to put 300 million in. Yeah. And I therefore love when I look at the smaller cap companies, or particularly when I look at small private businesses, I love to hear expansion plans. It is so exciting to me to hear expansion plans. People who just say, you know what? I have a food cart. My daughter's boyfriend, he's like looking at the food cart business. He says, if I have one food cart business and then I have a second one, maybe I can have a third one. Next thing I know, I can have an empire of food carts. Then there'll be another, a large company that may have an empire of food carts. And they're thinking, okay, I've got three people in the cart. I think I can make it with two. No, no, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> right. Great. That's the opposite great. of what you want. That's just great. Make it with two. Make it with two. Right. It could be the name of, a, of one of these books by people who would make a lot of money. I found a way to make it with two. No, sure. We were trying to hire people who are white collar criminals. In other words, not violent. I shouldn't say white, mm -hmm. nonviolent criminals. Typically, it's drugs to hire at washing dishes. And these are people who you hire them and they're incredibly loyal. And then you start thinking, well, hold it. Wait a second. Here's an endless stream of employees who are incredibly loyal, who couldn't otherwise get jobs, who will ultimately move up or you'll pay them more. And you say, wow. I can do this. And the only reason I mention this because a lot of people say, I can't find workers. I can't find workers. Well, let me, have you ever thought maybe you're not trying hard? Have you ever thought that you have a bias? Have you ever thought that basically you're looking for someone who's like you, so to speak? That's not what you're going to find. You've got to take a look at the new workforce and recognize that maybe you aren't the guy. You might be the guy who leaves after three weeks. I'm talking about trying to find loyal people and then finding their cousins and their nephews or their other people and just say, okay, listen, I got a new place coming. Do you have anyone in your family that wants to come to my new place? And that's how you expand. I did it with an inn. I've done it with real estate. I just find that as long as it stays small or if it grows organically, 
then you're in good shape. Now, for the street.com, that was one where it was very, very hard because then the venture capitalists got got involved. And what do they want to do? They want to super grow. growth. They super yeah. charge growth. And then you lose control. Right. You know, what's interesting is where you ended up there talking about non-traditional hiring pools is very similar in a way to what you're talking about with very large companies finding ways to support small businesses, which is to say it isn't a charity. Don't think of it like a charity. It may be doing good work. Who doesn't want to give jobs to people who would otherwise be a drain on the system, but are now given an opportunity to build meaningful lives for themselves and their communities? Who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to support small businesses, right? The, the hokey thing every politician says is we've got to support small businesses. Small businesses is the backbone of America, right? But then nobody acts on charity uh, or people do charity once, but they're not going to make it their business. Right. But, but the point that you're making which is, I think, a really important one, is that both of these things are actually very smart business decisions. They're not charity. They're good business decisions because helping small business actually can be a fantastic financial decision. And finding non-traditional ways to hire people can build a more loyal and robust team than you'd find in traditional channels. Totally. Let's take the example of this Constellation. So Constellation decides, listen, we're going to have a fund for original minority ideas about beverages. So an African-American gentleman comes to them and says, look, right now there's this craze for Whispering Angel, for these rosé wine, okay? Mm-hmm. But they are so for women, and yet the taste is not necessarily for women, but they are being sold to women. How about if I come up with a men's rosé? Now, <laughs> I don't know. That's like the greatest idea. But you know what? You needed to have someone from an untraditional background go to them. It's a total home run. They gave him some money. It's a total home run. Now, this had an idea. Okay. That's all he had was an idea. He went to Constellation. They gave him the money. They're sharing in his prosperity. What a dynamite idea, right? I mean, I was sitting here. I came home and told my wife, I said, I just interviewed this guy who came up with a African-American rosé. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, it turns out that the taste is universal, but the thing is marketed to women. So therefore, Mm. men won't try it. So how about if we market Rosé to men. And it turns out men like it very much. And so therefore they have a male rosé and it's a home run. And now this is the kind of thing that a large company may not have thought of. A minority guy. I mean, this is just a great idea and it's a thriving business. And to me, that is a sign that people are starting to think outside of what they thought they would do. And they're making more money than they ever thought they so what's so funny about that example is I thought it, it could have gone in a very different direction. Do you remember Gerber Singles? Do you know what that is? I remember so, Gerber's it's a, Gerber Singles. Yeah, Gerber Singles. It's a classic flop. We're sitting around and they're thinking, how do we increase our sales? How do we find more people to sell this thing to? But we're not going to put any R&D into a new product. And somebody comes up with the idea of basically taking the baby food, putting it in adult packaging, calling it Gerber Singles, basically for adults who live by themselves who want a quick meal. And they're going to eat some baby food, but it's not baby food. because And this, they roll this thing out. And of course, it's an unbelievable disaster and they pull it from the shelves and that's the end. And the interesting thing about the rosé for, for a different market story is that a similar thing is happening. You're not making a new product. You're sticking with an existing product. You're finding a new market. That one works. Gerber Singles fails. What's the lesson? Well, I think the lesson is that you're not trying to come up with artificial. You know, it's artificial. That's an artificial expansion of a market. Versus a natural belief that there's a taste that is that's exclusionary because that taste is not being marketed to everyone. It literally is cutting out 50 percent of the market. And to me, I have to tell you, when I first heard it, I think like same thing as my wife. I said, well, that's 
no, women like rosé. And then I realized, no, people like rosé. But it took mm-hmm. this gentleman going to them and saying, you know what? People like rosé, but it's only marketed to like one half the people it could be marketed to. And I think that not trying to slice up something of Berber single, that is a clip. I love that. But it's really just instead something that is, I don't want to say out of the boxes, that's too cliche, but kind of like, why didn't I think of that? I mean, I'll give you another example. I love to garden. So I made 150 jars of pickles. Okay. So I can't sell them, but I want to give them to people. So my wife says, what you want to do is you need labels. I said, like, why don't I just put scotch tape on them and get a post-it? My wife said, no. These days you can go and you can go on Etsy and there'll be people who just make labels. I said, well, that's ridiculous. She said, no, just go. So I go to Etsy and I order Jim's None Better Pickles. I fill the thing out. And I get an email back saying, you know what? How about you do Jim's None Better Pickles and then say a real big deal? (laughs) Instead of ordering 50 labels, which was about $25, I decided to order 200 labels. Why? Because this person's thinking. This person's thinking, and I'll take mine down. Now, I don't know how many people she bothered that day to come up with a little twist, but there's a person with some gumption. And she's taking a business that's not a business, turned into a business. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure it scales. And next thing you know, she is going to be hiring two other people to do labels. And that's the American way. Now, yeah. if it's big business, they want to figure out how do we generate that label with no people? Is there a way to generate that label with artificial intelligence? No, no, no. Yeah, AI method of I'm a big deal. Oh, God. Hold on. We'll be right back with more Jim Cramer. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you are all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know that you are not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners, too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode of Problem Solvers is being presented by State Farm. All right, we're back with Jim Cramer, and I'm just going to play that last little bit again because what it had prompted for me was a thought about a real difference maker between how to build a business successfully and how not to. So let's get back into it. Is there a way to generate (laughs) that label with artificial intelligence? No! No, no. Yeah, AI method of I'm a big deal. Oh, God. Right. What you're describing here is the difference between proactively solving a problem and sitting around waiting to be a solution. This is what I see small businesses do so successfully is that they don't sit around waiting for an opportunity. They are the opportunity. Now, this woman sees that you're in the market for something and she's going to come to you with a better idea in the same way that I'm sure you get this in your inbox. I get it all the time. 
eh, some company has some new service and let, let's say they've figured out ways to improve my podcast, my podcast particularly, because this is what they do. And so they send me a personalized video where they walk through all the things that I'm doing wrong with my podcast and all the ways they can solve it. That's a hell of a lot better than just putting up a website and sitting around and hoping that somebody comes to you and presses a few buttons and then you can right. automate the solution. Right. We want to do a new menu at the restaurant, okay? But we don't know what it should look like. So we hire Wix and we say, listen, could you for $10 a month come up with an organic menu that looks better maybe? And so then they come back and say, look, you got a better idea. We have five artists in Brooklyn that are all willing to create a better looking menu than what you have. But instead of $10, that's $20. And we're like, that's all? Done, done. Mm. So suddenly we have an artist who's got a business going that didn't have a business going. Well, maybe that artist has a bunch of artists. Maybe they come up with a collective. This is what is exciting to me. Exciting to me about small businesses, there's a solution that they have. I take the solution. I don't call the person and say, listen, is there a way you could do that with half the people? No. I say, listen, I've got some more ideas. I'll put more people on the payroll. It is so obviously additive. It makes my business look so much bigger than it is because the, the menu looks better than typical menu. And that person's got a business. It increases my business. And no one is thinking about how to cut back. People are just thinking about growth. And I think that that's the joy. I was on a call last week for General Mills. And General Mills, once again, Hit it out of the park by finding another couple hundred million sick. No, <laughs> no, come up with a better tasting food. But mm. when you're dealing with the level that we are, where there is genuine excitement when you get that menu, the five artists, and then the five artists that want to interview, if you want to interview us, Chewy does it too. They'll paint pictures of your dog. They have a list of, they have a whole bunch of artists and they want to grow. And I just love growth and I can't stand cuts. Because cuts are a way to say, I'm out of ideas. I've reached the pinnacle of what I'm going to accomplish. So from now on, I'm going to replace people with software. And you know what? We'll make even more money. That's not what I want to be in. And that's not what small business is about. Small business is thinking at all times about how to have more, 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 more people hired, more business being done, more stores being open. And that's the joy of business. I don't understand how anyone could want to get into business to try to figure out how to fire as many people as possible. Jim, when you think about the state of small business right now, what are you thinking? And I asked this in a way, if I was just on a call with our sales team and our head of sales asked me, what's the state of small business? He says his clients are always asking him that. And so he's asking me and now I'm asking you because I just hear all sorts of different things, right? I hear small businesses that are doing great. Their biggest problem is that they're not able to keep up with the growth because it's hard to hire people mm -hmm. and this and that reason. And then there are areas of the country that have been, were, were slammed and are struggling to recover. There are many small businesses that didn't have the financial cushion to withstand the last year and a half of instability, and they're never going to come back. It's a real mixed bag. I don't know if it's possible to say this is the state of small business, but as you look at it, what do you think? The costs have gotten prohibitive. I find that my Rosk labor has not come down. Uh, my second Rosk cost, real estate, has not come down. My insurance costs have not come down. My food costs have not come down. So what's happened is, is that instead of wanting to be in total growth mode, being able to put together a budget and saying, okay, listen, every time I add this unit, be able to keep the central purchasing down and yet being able to expand easily. I now look at the unit that I want to add and I realize that my profitability is not as great. So suddenly I want to pull my horns. 
because I no longer feel like I can replicate Bar San Miguel in three different places and really do well. I'm looking at how much I made two years ago on a dollar. And now I'm looking at how much I'm making on that dollar and it's substantially less. So that's my problem is cost. Now you could say, well, that's a rich person's problem, Jim. Come on. But in reality, I got to make a budget. It's everybody's problem. And the budget doesn't look great anymore. And, you know, so therefore I feel like that if I miss a couple of weeks or I have an outbreak of COVID or if guacamole costs go up, I don't have the cushion that I'd like. And so then I have to figure out, okay, do I cut back on point of sale? Can I really afford DoorDash? But if I don't afford DoorDash, well, I, well, I piss people off. There's a lot of decisions that I'm making now that are, that are like what big business has to make. And it's not fun. I do the dishes with two instead of three. So I'm kind of in that mode just because I'm seeing that I'm making very, very little money where I was making pretty decent. Money. If I could ask you to put on the future vision glasses, how do you see that playing out? Well, I think that if we could get more women back into the workforce, I'm hoping that once school goes into full force, maybe the women who had to be at home or spouses, whoever's at home, may get them back in. Maybe we can get it so there's a greater pool of labor. That would be terrific. Maybe we get a bumper crop of food. That would be excellent. I don't know how to get real estate. These landlords all own these buildings. and They're happy to leave them open, which just drives me crazy. Yeah. But I need to have things, simple things. Like this insurance is really amazing. Why did insurance go up 20%? What happened to go up 20%? I don't know. But there's a cost that I felt was like maybe it would be 2 3% more. I, I need to see something go down in price that I feel like I can make a better budget. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, then I can add more. And if I don't get more, if I don't get some price break somewhere, then I'm going to be smaller for a while until I sense that I uh, either come up with new product that's better or that maybe I can, if I could get minimum wage, which is not necessarily what I aspired to do initially, but I, if I didn't have to pay well over minimum wage, then at least I can make a budget. But the biggest problem I have is, does rent ever go down? You know, maybe it does in other cities, but I can't pay more than $3,500 a month in rent. And four years ago, I had a dozen places I could look at this weekend that would do that. Now I don't have that. And mm-hmm. nothing's happened to make it so that they just raise rent. It's kind of like a monopoly rent situation. So I'm a little down about my raw costs because when I make a budget, it shows that I'm going to lose money, say, for six months, and I can afford to lose money for three months. If I were to start a business that I really wanted to grow, I would have to bring in Salesforce and bring in Workday and try to figure out how not to hire people. And that's not the joy. The joy is to put people to work. Right. So as a way to wrap this, let me ask you, you just described a very universal challenge for small businesses, which is rising costs. And of course, as we have a tight labor, it's challenging to find good labor. Costs are going up there too, because the only way that people can figure out how to get people back in is to raise costs or raise pay. So you have a rising sea there and it's not exactly clear how to solve it. And I wonder what you think the future holds for these small businesses and where the solution comes from. And I'll just propose a solution as part of the question, which is, does it in part come from what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation, which is a growing realization that there is great business to be done in serving and helping small businesses, which is why you see so many big public companies, Etsy Square and the like. Right getting into that business? Well, look, I think that I'm not being creative enough, frankly. Because I didn't realize how much my budget had changed, I'm not thinking the way I have to, which is to say, okay, listen, let me bring in Twilio and see if I can't push specials to people. Why aren't I doing that? 
why aren't I being more creative with some of my distributors and saying, look, guys, you got to give me some juice and I'll promise to be able to make it so that you'll be surprised how much business I can do. Why am I not thinking about better branding? For instance, right now we're bringing in these really interesting looking bibs, basically, for a waiter, you know, an apron. And I got them through Etsy, and but you know, I just have not ordered enough because it looks like that it, it's got like a great feel to it. In other words, I'm not being creative. I am sticking by the same plan that got me where I was rather than me thinking about the, a happy hour. I never did a happy hour. Maybe I need to do a happy hour. I always felt that a happy hour is is kind of cheesy. But wait a second. I mean, if everyone's having a little problem making ends meet, let's do a happy hour. Why don't I offer, this is something I just said to, the, to my manager. I said, can we please sell a beer for nothing? Literally, like if it costs a dollar, let's for from five to seven, let's charge $1.50 for it. Let's get them in. So I, I think that what has to happen is I have to be more creative, not fire people, but just be a little more thoughtful. I felt that there was a period. You hold up a shingle, people came. Now we have to figure out new creative ways. And anyone who could help me, my point of sale guys, my point of sale guys say, listen, we can cut your costs there. We can make it so that uh, you you can save a little bit per ticket. That's a really good thing. So I did take a point of sale company out and put in a less expensive one. DoorDash made a deal with DoorDash and DoorDash decided to help us make it so that here's the give us a tiered plan so that we can make a little bit more. And then if we get bigger, we can go to the top tier. So what I have to do is literally think every week about new ways to bring people in. And I didn't have to think about new ways before. I would encourage small business to have to be a little more creative. And I know someone might say, oh, well, it's easy for you, Jim. No, no, I had a lot of businesses, admittedly, but I had not been creative. And in particular, how about this? I decided, let's get some experts come in. Maybe we do tastings. Why not do tastings? Why not get a little reputation? I tried some of the local sites. I did one of the sites that is, it's not public yet, but it, they have, you can put targeted ads in a different zip code. How about Twitter? I haven't figured out whether to use Twitter yet. Why not delve into Instagram? Do the things that are creative that I didn't have to do because the business was right there for me. So no more low-hanging fruit. Maybe get a ladder. Find a higher fruit. <laughs> You're reconsidering the impossible. You're saying these were things didn't need to do before, wasn't interested in doing. Maybe I didn't even like the idea. Now we're going to return to them. Some yes. are going to turn I mean, out to be You know, a two-for-one brunch. You know, two for one, a Bloody Mary. I have not been creative because I didn't need to be creative. Now I have to be. And it is a source of great pleasure when I decided to redo the back of my restaurant. I said, listen, it's just not nice enough. And so I got people now who want to come in and go to the back because they heard that the back looked better. But I had to put some money. I had to put $2,000 in to make it look better in the back. And initially I said, well, hold it. How am I going to make that back? But I made it back in three months. So I think that one of the things that you have to do is to challenge yourself to figure out why you're not bringing in more people. And I think a lot of times it's because, well, it always worked before. Uh Uh-uh. Come up with new reasons. And that's what I'm doing. The future of small business is just being even more creative. Absolutely. And relying on people. Ask people. I mean, I asked my distributors, what's everybody else doing that's interesting? I asked American Express, what are people doing that's interesting? I asked my workers' comp saying, hey, listen, is there a way to be able to make it so that I still give protect the people? So, well, you know, you got to go to this outfit, not this outfit. So I just think that you have to say, all right, I don't necessarily want to look at every cost. Obviously, you don't want to spend more. What I need to do is try to figure out how to bring more people in. And that's a much more satisfying way to approach business than try to figure out how to fire people. Yeah. Hey, Jim, really appreciate it. Thank you. Good to talk to you. 
And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.